Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Here on Stolen Lives, we discuss brutal and heartbreaking crimes against children. Themes may include child murder, torture, and sexual, domestic, and child abuse. I do try my best to remain respectful for the babies in these stories and leave out unnecessary details that honestly none of us need to know to understand the frustration of why and how this ever happened. However, if you find any of these themes triggering, this podcast may not be for you. Listener discretion is advised. The death of three-year-old Nina Glassie remains one of New Zealand's most horrific and high-profile child murders. Google images of this sweet little girl and you won't find any past her infancy. Years before, Nia's life was stolen from her in the most barbaric of ways. No one loved this little girl. No one fought for her. She only had herself. All Nina knew was abuse. Abuse that intensified in the days and weeks leading up to her murder. Neighbours and family just stood by and watched. This is a story that will shock you. It will break your heart. It will have you yelling why. Why did this happen? And why didn't anyone do anything to stop it? This is Nia's story. Nia Marie Glassie was born March 20, 2004, to Glassie Glassie Jr. and Lisa Kuka. Nia would be the fourth child for the couple. They already had a son, eight-year-old Jerome, and two daughters, seven-year-old Jessie and five-year-old Esther. Everyone who knew the family during this time would state that Lisa was an amazing and attentive mother who would do anything for her children. However, in saying that, I do question this because Lisa had already had two children from a previous relationship removed from her care by children, youth and families, or CYF as we'll refer to them for the remainder of this episode. But these children were now living with extended family members. Unfortunately, Glassie and Lisa would separate. I have seen some hint that possibly Glassie cheated on Lisa with another family member of hers, but whether this was actually the case... I couldn't find any solid confirmation of this. But Glassie would remarry to a woman named Selena, and the new couple would move to Sydney, Australia, with his eldest child, Jerome, leaving the three girls with their mother. Lisa and her daughters moved in with Lisa's mother, Polly, in Rotorua, New Zealand. In mid-2006, 33-year-old Lisa would attend a 21st birthday party of a niece at her sister Louise's home, where she would meet 16-year-old Weramu Curtis, a boy half her age. Despite the large age gap, the two hit it off and started a relationship, moving in together only a few months after they met. For the first six months of their cohabitation, Lisa left her daughters with her mother Polly, Maybe this was because the house she was living in was only a one-bedroom apartment. Or maybe it was because Lisa was so infatuated with her new beau that he was her only concern at the time. March 2007. 
Lisa and Waramu secured a rental at 13D Frank Street, Kotu, a suburb of Rotorua on the North Island of New Zealand, a small three-bedroom fibro-light home that backed onto a reserve. Jessie, Esther and Nia would move into the home with the couple, sharing a bedroom together. In the third bedroom of the home was Wiramu's older brother, 21-year-old Michael Curtis, and his girlfriend, 17-year-old Arawa Kemp, and their three-year-old child. Lisa's nephew, 20-year-old Michael Pearson, would also regularly stay at the home too, along with the Curtis brothers' father, William Curtis. I'm going to say this now. I really despise using the first names of these monsters, or any of the monsters that harm these babies I cover in the podcast. However, for this particular episode, to prevent confusion because we have three assholes with the same surname, I'm going to use their first names. Not out of any respect for them, but just so I can keep the story straight and you don't get lost on who I'm talking about. Now, Weramu and his brother had grown up around violence and abuse. Their father, William Curtis, was a member of the notorious Black Power Gang. He ruled with an iron fist, so to speak, and he would regularly beat his sons and their mother for not complying with his expectations. Sometimes there wasn't even a reason for his beatings. He may have had a bad day and wanted to get his frustrations out, or maybe he was drunk or high. Eventually, their mother left, but the boys stayed on with their father. This is a nature or nurture situation. Were the Curtis brothers born bad, or was it environmental and their young brains had become permanently wired to see violence and cruelty as perfectly normal, especially towards those weaker than themselves? I think Nia's episode of the incredible New Zealand show Beyond the Darklands explains the personalities of the Curtis brothers the best, that they never developed the ability to empathise with others, their world was permanently hostile and brutal. That's all they ever knew, and it was comforting to them in a strange way. So this was the world they went on to recreate for themselves time and time again. The elder of the brothers, Michael Curtis, was intellectually challenged. And at the time our story takes place, his mental age was that of a 12-year-old, almost half of his physical age of 21. But despite what Lisa knew about the Curtis brothers and the others in her household, she chose to leave her little girls with them even if it was at the cost of her three-year-old daughter's life. Life at the Frank Street house was volatile. Neighbours would later state they often heard people fighting and screaming. There were crashes and bangs. One time, a young woman believed to be Orima, she was heard sobbing outside the home, pleading for someone to let her inside the house. She would spend the entire night outside in the cold New Zealand autumn weather. Lisa worked six days a week as a supervisor for a kiwi fruit packing factory. She would leave at 5am and sometimes only arriving home at 10pm. She would be the only person in the household that was working. Her boyfriend, his brother, his girlfriend and Lisa's nephew all relied on government assistance payments and that was when they could be bothered to meet the necessary job-seeking requirements to actually get paid. It was basically 100% up to Lisa to keep the household afloat financially. Because of this, the Curtis brothers were given the responsibility to care for 10-year-old Jessie, 8-year-old Esther and 3-year-old Nia. Neighbours would later report seeing the girls playing outside the home all day during school hours. 
but the girls weren't allowed to play with other children in the neighbourhood, keeping to themselves. I would assume that was to keep the violence in the home a secret to everyone else. Perhaps the adults in the home were afraid their threats of violence if the girls slipped up on what was happening to Nia wouldn't work, and they would tell their playmates. But we will get to that in a moment. The abuse on Nia started not long after the dysfunctional household came together in March of 2007. William Curtis was the initial perpetrator of the violence against the little girl. He would slap her, even drawing blood on occasion. There is one instance that is mentioned in the court documents, where William wrapped a scarf around Nia's neck and pulled it tight. He lifted her off the ground until her face turned purple, and then he let her drop to the floor. It would be from this point until the fatal incident in late July 2007 that Nia would be subjected to horrific abuse. Despite all the testimonies at trial, the motive for this abuse is unclear. Prosecutor Fletcher Piltich said he could not discern any obvious reasoning behind the actions of the perpetrators, telling BBC News, quote, She was bullied in the worst kind of way. She was singled out for what reasons we do not know. Unquote. The only way to describe the violence is that it was carried out as a form of entertainment and to quell their boredom during the day. The majority of the abuse of Nia occurred during the time Lisa was at work, but it would be very naive to even consider she wouldn't be aware due to the injuries on the little girl, and that she was not witness to at least some incidents of violence against her daughter. And the list of disgustingly violent and senseless abuse of Nia is shocking. Nothing I have ever heard of before. Michael Pearson would kick three-year-old Nia around the house until she bled, and then he would just keep going. Michael Curtis lifted Nia up to the ceiling by her neck and hips, and when she touched the ceiling, he would drop her to the floor. Nia was placed into the dryer. Michael Pearson came up with the idea of putting the child into the dryer, a Simpson 28cm diameter dryer with a small round door, the other children in the home who will be forever traumatised by what they have witnessed in this house. They begged the men to stop, but Michael Curtis didn't listen and he forced Nia into the dryer. Now dryers obviously get extremely hot to dry the clothes inside. I googled just how hot, and a normal working clothes dryer reaches temperatures of 125 to 135 degrees Fahrenheit, or 51 to 57 degrees Celsius. Somehow Nia found the strength to fight back as her skin and internal organs would have been burning, and she kicked the door open, only for Michael Curtis to force her back inside, holding the door closed while she suffered for as long as 30 minutes. Later during trial, the other children in the household would be questioned about this incident. Quote, they turned it on, and she goes around and blood comes out. Her head gets hot and she started to bleed from the nose. Unquote. On a different day, Nia was upset and whimpering, but instead of doing what any normal carer would do in this situation and comfort her, find out what's wrong, and I really need to stop using the word normal in these episodes, because common sense never comes into play when it comes to these disgusting monsters, and Nia had learned to whimper instead of crying from only an infant, because she knew that crying only led to further punishment. 
But instead of caring for Nia, the Curtis brothers in Orowa camp pegged her to a rotary clothesline and spun her around as fast as they could until she fell off. They would do this three times and she landed on her head every time. After they got bored with this, they submerged Nia into an ice-cold bath, laughing the whole time this poor child would have been in excruciating pain. Michael Pearson would practice his wrestling moves on Nia that he would play on his WWE Smackdown game on the PlayStation 2. Moves that included jumping on Nia's head and stomach, sitting on her head, body slamming her onto the couch, squeezing her neck while holding her up and then slamming her onto the couch. This is a grown man against a three-year-old baby, who by all accounts was tiny for her age. And the defence team would have the nerve to suggest these wrestling moves were all just harmless fun, that maybe just went a little bit too far. The list goes on. Nia was shoved into the garbage. She was folded into a sofa and sat on. She was thrown against a wall. Her hands and feet were held over a fireplace until her skin bubbled with blisters. She was left on the roof of the house unattended. She was buried naked in a sand pit, with only her head left exposed, while the adults of the house threw bricks and bottles at her. She was left outdoors for hours in just her diaper in cold temperatures. She was slapped and punched and spat on. The list goes on and on. This poor baby. And the abuse only intensified during her last few days of life. July 21st, 2007. The household was gearing up to celebrate Michael Curtis's 21st birthday. On this day, the brothers kicked Nia in the head numerous times. This would cause Nia to fall into a coma. When Lisa came home from work, she found Nia unresponsive on her bed. She was floppy, had soiled herself and would not wake up. She put Nia in a bath, but this did not wake her up. Still, Lisa put her unconscious daughter back into the bed and got ready for the night's festivities. In her bed was where she was left for the next 33 hours, unattended to and abandoned. When the partygoers would ask where Nia was, Lisa would tell them that she was in bed with the flu. About 8pm, Lisa's sister Louise arrived at the home. She immediately knew something was wrong and had concerned about her niece's safety due to the level of intoxication of the adults in the home. Louise grabbed Esther and Jessie, taking them with her to her house, but she was not allowed to see Nia. July 22, 2007. Lisa attended a New Zealand hospital with her daughter, Nia. Nia was convulsing and foaming at the mouth. Lisa told doctors that her daughter had sustained the injuries after accidentally falling off her partner's shoulders. Doctors did try all they could to save Nia's life. She was placed on a ventilator. She had serious abdominal injuries and a brain hemorrhage. Her brain injury was so severe that part of her brain tissue had died. Doctors prepared the family because if Nia had survived, she would have needed 24 hours a day care and a wheelchair for the rest of her life. It was clear to the doctors that Lisa was not being honest with how her daughter received her injuries, that the severity of her injuries could not have been from just one occurrence. This could only have happened by systematic violence over a period of weeks or months. Nia was transferred to Starship Children's Hospital in Auckland, 
but her condition would not improve and she would pass away 13 days later on August 13, 2007. Heartbreakingly, if Nia had been taken to hospital as soon as she became unconscious, she would have likely survived. And that's what makes me so angry here. While her daughter was lying in hospital fighting for her life, much like she had for the last three months of her life, Lisa Kuka was apparently so stressed that she had to go out clubbing and drinking, instead of being by her child's side where she should have been. Lisa never gave a media statement while her daughter was in hospital or after she died. There was no grieving mother. Nia's paternal grandfather, Glassy Glassy Senior, told the New Zealand Herald before her death that she did not deserve to be treated the way she was. Quote, In my heart right now, I just want my grandchild to pull through. She is a young child. Baby is cute. I look at her and think what a nice little granddaughter I have. She has a big smile. I told my son about what has happened and he is angry. I've been watching this on the news and reading it in the paper. I don't know why this has happened. Unquote. It was clear to doctors that Nia was abused, and this abuse caused her death. Police were contacted, and they attended to the home on Frank Street to collect evidence. The house was still a disgusting mess. Remnants of the 21st birthday party weeks earlier, or maybe from other parties since. There were broken bourbon bottles, pizza cartons, and kids' shoes pushed through a small hole in the fence. Broken furniture littered the home. Half-eaten food left around and the smell was putrid. The brothers, Wiramu and Michael Curtis, Michael Pearson and Orowa Kemp, were all arrested and charged with assault and injuring with the intent to cause grievous bodily harm for the abuse of the three-year-old. William Curtis and Lisa Cooker would also later be arrested and charged. A total of six people charged in relation to little Nia Glassy's murder. The four-week trial ended in November 2008. During this time, the defendants were all seen laughing and whispering, almost appearing bored. I'm so sorry your precious time has been taken up. Seriously, if this is one case where I wish we had the death penalty over this side of the world, these monsters do not deserve jail time. They do not deserve to continue living when they had no empathy and no respect for life. I am so angry. I'm shaking. I don't know how the judge could stand looking at their faces and dealing with their disrespect during the trial. The only time any of them showed any emotion was when they heard each other's statements on what happened, where they all placed the blame on each other. The jury of seven men and four women deliberated for 11 hours before returning with a unanimous guilty verdict for all the adults involved. Presiding Judge Judith Porter openly wept as she delivered the sentences. She thanked the equally affected and shaken jurors for coping with the case, even offering them counselling to deal with what they heard and saw during the trial. Wiramu and Michael Curtis were found guilty of murder and received a life imprisonment. They will not be eligible for early release, but they can apply for parole in February 2025. In my opinion, though, these monsters should never be allowed to walk free again. Nia's mother, Lisa Kuka, was found guilty of two counts of manslaughter, one count of purposely not seeking immediate medical attention for the injuries of her daughter, 
and another for failure to protect her daughter. She was sentenced to nine years of imprisonment with the chance of parole. Justice Porter said in sentencing, the Curtis brothers were extreme in their treatment of Nia, quote, This was extremely cruel conduct on a child. These two young men were old enough to appreciate what they were doing was wrong, unquote. As for Lisa Kuka, Justice Porter damned her for failing to get medical attention for her daughter for 33 hours while she laid in a coma. And this was, quote, a gross breach of trust, unquote. Addressing Lisa directly, quote, This was very serious neglect. She was aware Nia was being abused and chose to ignore her defenceless three-year-old child. She turned a blind eye to what was happening to Nia because she was in love with Wiramu. Nia was a defenceless child, unquote. Lisa's nephew, Michael Pearson, and Michael Curtis's partner, Orwa Kemp, were not convicted of manslaughter. Instead, they were found guilty of child abuse and cruelty charges. Michael Pearson receiving a three-year imprisonment, and Orwa Kemp received three years and four months. William Curtis was tried separately in February 2009. He would later be found guilty of eight counts of assault against Nia. He was sentenced to four years' imprisonment and released in October 2012. The trial also found that most of the family members and neighbours were aware of the neglect and abuse inflicted on Nia. They saw little Nia outside in the cold. They saw her on the roof. They heard the screaming and crying of children until the early morning hours. And they saw Nia being spun and thrown from the clothesline, but no one said anything. No reports to CYF or to the police were ever received. One neighbour would later be interviewed by local news outlets and he expressed remorse for not saying anything. Quote, I feel partially responsible in some sense, that maybe she would still be alive if I had rung the police that day because not long after that she passed away. Unquote. Unfortunately, Frank Street, where the family lived, was a troubled neighbourhood. Violence was an unwelcome but an entrenched part of their lives there, and many of the residents were afraid of repercussions. As I said, William Curtis was a gang member. There was real implied fear here. As another neighbour to the family said, quote, who wants to get their house burned down in the middle of the night or their windows broken? Unquote. Since then, Nia Glassie has almost become the poster child in New Zealand for abused children and she's become the subject of numerous campaigns against violence and cruelty to children in New Zealand. Attempting to push the option that you can remain anonymous to police if you report suspected child abuse, and that is always an option. You don't need to reveal your identity if you are fearful of possible repercussions, especially if you're reporting a neighbour or a family member. It is always better to say something than nothing at all. It could very well mean the difference of the literal life and death of an innocent child like Nia. Said Prime Minister Helen Clark of Nia when promoting one such campaign, quote, I cannot believe that a child was subjected to that level of horror, sadism and torture, that no one knew. People have got to start turning in those who frankly are maiming and killing our children, unquote. Nia's father, Glassy Glassy Jr., chose not to attend the trial. He found it difficult and confusing to reconcile with the fact that the person he once loved had caused his daughter's death. Quote, I really don't want to be there. It's hard because she was my partner before. 
I've been in a relationship with her and she's the mother of my children. I feel sorry for her. It's just mixed feelings towards her. It shouldn't have happened that way. I've got no feelings about the verdict. At the end of the day, my baby's gone and nothing will bring her back. Unquote. Glassie also received full custody of his other three children with Leah. He even moved back to Rotorua to give his younger children as much normality and stability as possible in this chaotic and devastating situation. Quote, The children are going to do normal things, go to school and come home. I've just got to be with them. Unquote. Nia's mother, Lisa Kuka, was released on parole on September 22, 2014, in the midst of serving her sentence. However, a breach of her parole requirements meant she was sent back to prison two years later, on August 22, 2016, to complete the remainder of her sentence. During her prison term, Lisa worked as a wing cleaner. She also displayed a deteriorating attitude, behaviour and stubbornness a refusal to conform to the rules and authorities. Lisa was re-released at the end of her sentence on October 16, 2017. She remains currently on parole. The parole board has officially classified her as a medium-risk offender. As far as her life outside prison goes, Lisa is banned from consuming any alcohol, drugs or non-prescribed medication, as well as communicating with any form of media. This stipulation is interesting to me, and I don't remember hearing this being an actual thing before. Please DM me or share in the Facebook group if you know of another case where the perpetrator has been banned from talking to the media post-release. Lisa is also discouraged from forming any future intimate relationships and from contacting friends and family. She's also not allowed to have contact with children under the age of 16 without the permission of her probation officer. None of the other Katu Five, as they have become known, received a total media ban as part of their sentence or probation. After serving a 12-month sentence, Oroa Kemp later revealed during a 2018 interview with the New Zealand Herald that she wasn't a monster for her involvement in Nia's murder, as it happened during a time where she'd been living in an abusive relationship herself, and due to her own background, she didn't know any better. Quote, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. No way. I'm just not that person anymore. Unquote. Oroa also stated that there wasn't any reason why the abuse towards Nia happened. The Curtis brothers just didn't like her. They reasoned it because she was ugly. Which, I mean, come on. Anyone with eyes could tell this baby was beautiful. Her chocolate skin and massive cocoa-coloured eyes. Her massive cheeky grin. She was beautiful. And even in some crazy world where she wasn't, so? She was this trusting and innocent and sweet baby girl. I don't care if she had ten eyes and three noses and hairy warts all over her face. She was a baby. She deserved nothing but love and caring and endless cuddles. I would have loved the opportunity to give this baby the life she deserved. And I am one of thousands of capable people who would have given her that, including her aunt and grandmother. This stupid, dumb-ass excuse of a reason to abuse this amazing child. Fuck that. I hope these assholes suffer nothing but the worst of the worst for the rest of their lives and painful and drawn-out deaths, because that's all they allowed Nia. I hope nothing more than she is living the life she deserved in the afterlife. I am sorry everyone in your life let you down, Nia. You deserved so much more.
If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Music.